The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November 22nd edition, Thanksgiving Eve, the Wednesday before the day that we eat ourselves into Mike Tyson-esque Bolivian. Why do we do that? I don't know. We just do it. We give thanks for what we have by consuming as much of what we have as humanly possible so that we are absolutely miserable the next day. It's a tradition, and I will be participating in it no matter how many times I sell myself. I'm not going to have three plates. I'm not going to have two plates followed by two plates two hours later. I'm not going to drink a whole bottle of wild turkey because turkey is what we eat on Thanksgiving. Whatever the case may be. Eventually, at some point in the next 24 hours, I'm going to say screw it. Or probably a word with one less letter that I can say in this format, but I've yet to work myself up to the point where I'm comfortable really saying anything stronger than shit. But stay tuned. You never know. Especially if we do one of these tomorrow and I've already taking a dip into the wild turkey pool. Let's let's get you ready for the Thanksgiving games. But before that, some developments since we went off the air earlier today with PFT Live. The news came shortly after we went off the air that the Bills have made another quarterback change. They have gone back to Tyrod Taylor. The brief Nathan Peterman experiment is over. And... Why did it take so long? I doubt that there was a strategic element here, as if the Chiefs were concerned that facing Nathan Peterman would in some way be problematic. I I think that Sean McDermott, or whoever in the organization, made the decision, which seemed understandable at the time, Tyrod Taylor's not a franchise quarterback. We need to find a franchise quarterback, and we don't want Tyrod Taylor to win just enough games to get us into the playoffs for the first time since 1999 because then we'd be stuck with him as our quarterback even if he's not a franchise quarterback, which we don't think he is. At least they now know Nathan Peterman isn't. Right? Tony Dungy made that remark. We are in the studio Sunday, and the idea that the Peterman experiment was a failure, it was success insofar as now they know. And he mentioned that Thomas Edison called every experiment aimed at inventing the light bulb that failed not a failure because he has now learned another way not to create a light bulb. So the Bills have learned another way not to get their next Jim Kelly. And Nathan Peterman is not that guy. So Taylor is back. And who knows where it goes from here, right? Maybe they had to go back to Taylor because they didn't want to have a full-on mutiny. Because the problem is, while the coaching staff in the front office may be thinking, we need a franchise quarterback to help us contend each and every year, the veteran players saying, screw that, we want a quarterback who's going to help us win this year. 
and Nathan Peterman isn't it. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the week on PFT Live or PFT PM, because one of the problems with doing multiple shows a day now, I can't remember what I said when. But I, in jest, suggested that I would look at and calculate the passer rating of Nathan Peterman, taking his stats and viewing them as if he were intending to throw the ball to Chargers players, with the one pick six being treated as a touchdown pass, with the interception return yardage being treated as passing yardage, with the interceptions, obviously, duh, treated as completions, and with the completions that he threw to Bill's players treated as interceptions. So the passer rating, the traditional passer rating, for Nathan Peterman, based upon 6 of 14 for 66 yards, no touchdowns and five interceptions. That was 17.9. So I turned it on its head. 5 of 14, five interceptions, 84 yards, which was the interception return yardage, one touchdown, and six interceptions. Those were the completions. Passer rating was 41.1. <laughs> more than more than double if he had been intending to throw the ball to the Chargers. So he's now thrown to the bench. Tyrod Taylor's thrown to the Wolves. And if the Bills beat the Chiefs, maybe they go through this whole thing with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. And one last time, for anybody out there inclined to say that the Nathan Peterman misadventures are Exhibit A as to why the Chiefs should not bench Alex Smith, the Chiefs thought considerably more of Patrick Mahomes than the Bills did of Nathan Peterman. The Bills traded a fifth-round pick to get Nathan Peterman, i.e. they used a fifth-round pick in the draft to get him. The Chiefs traded two first-round picks and a third-round pick to get Patrick Mahomes. That's the difference. Oh, and by the way, the, the Bills are the ones who got those picks. See, they, they, they see what happens when a team makes an investment to move up. Look at Deshaun Watson. Now, that was a Texans-Browns move, but... Look how good he is. Look how good Carson Wentz is. The Eagles moved up with the Browns, and the Browns continue to be the common thread in the let's move down instead of drafting a franchise quarterback analysis, which has failed for them miserably. The Dolphins also have failed miserably this year in relation to their expectations. They finally get a chance to play the Patriots. And what a weird scheduling quirk where we're at week 12 – The Patriots and the Dolphins haven't played each other. The Patriots and the Bills haven't played each other. And the Dolphins and the Bills haven't played each other. That is just weird. That ends on Sunday when the Patriots host the Dolphins. And then two weeks later, the Dolphins host the Patriots. And a lot of people were getting a kick out of Bill Belichick's over-the-top praise of Dolphins quarterbacks, Jay Cutler and Matt Moore. Cutler was in the concussion protocol and very well still may be and may miss the game. He'll start if he's healthy, according to Coach Adam Gase. Said Belichick to the media on Wednesday, well, the Dolphins have very good depth at quarterback. Both players are outstanding. They can throw the ball well. They're smart. They can handle the different looks that Coach Gase gives them to make the defense declare what they're in and then attack it. So I think we have a very good and healthy, I think they have a very good and healthy quarterback situation. They have two guys that can come in and play at a high level and move the ball and score points for their team. So it's a good position the Dolphins put themselves in. Dolphins fans don't see it that way. And look, it's quite possible, if not likely, that the reasons for the failures of the Miami Dolphins extend far beyond the play of the quarterbacks. But the quarterback play has not been good, and it begins and ends with the quarterback position. And 
most people think Belichick is just avoiding anything that he could say that could possibly in any way be used against him by a Dolphins organization that is trying to get itself lathered up to show that it can beat the Patriots. And we really are getting down to last chance territory for the Dolphins. They were 4-2, and two, they're now 4-6, and six, and 4-7 and seven is staring them right in the face. And really, you look at the final six games, they've got the Patriots twice, the Broncos, the Bills twice, and the Chiefs. Uh, you're looking at, 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 at two losses. Right from the, I mean, I, I don't want to rule them out because this is a team that went on a six-game winning streak last year, and if they go on a six-game winning streak now, they probably make it to the playoffs and they'd be very dangerous. But what have we seen from them that makes us think they're capable of going on a two-game winning streak, much less a six-game winning streak? All right, let's get you ready for the Thursday games. We'll do one of these on Friday as well. I, I know that there's got to be at least someone out there who will miss that we're not going to do a PFTPM podcast on Thursday. But it is Thanksgiving. I may be inebriated. There's football on TV. I don't do these on Sunday, in part because there's football on TV. I'm not going to do one on Thanksgiving, in part because there's football on TV and there will be alcohol in my bloodstream. Not that I will be leaving the hillside here at PFT headquarters, but probably not a good idea or maybe a great idea. I don't want to find out to do this thing after drinking some wine with dinner and some whiskey with dessert and some whiskey with after dessert and some whiskey after that and some whiskey after that. Not a good idea. Vikings-Lions, good idea for the NFL to have this game on Thanksgiving again. Although if I was the Vikings, I mean, they're not going to say anything about it and they're going to try to paint it as the glass being half full. But man, two straight years going to Detroit on Thanksgiving, two straight years when Detroit is at its most difficult to beat, I would not be happy about that if I was the Vikings. I mean, it's weird to have two consecutive years, the same team. But last year it was a great game. And this year it may be a great game. And this year it has significant consequences in the NFC North. Because the Vikings have a two-game lead. The Lions have beaten the Vikings in Minnesota. If the Lions win, it's down to one. And then down the stretch... The Lions have the slightly easier schedule. The Vikings are at Atlanta, at Carolina, and then for the final three games, the Vikings and the Lions have the same three opponents. Vikings have Bengals, at Packers, Bears, and the Lions' schedule. Let me make sure I get this right here. Because I change my feeling pretty much every week on how easy the rest of this is. They go to Baltimore and to Tampa Bay the next two weeks. Now... With Baltimore, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, this is a team that is two and 2-5 in games this year in which its opponent has scored a point because they've had three shutouts. They're 5-5, five and five, and maybe they're moving in the right direction. Maybe that game all of a sudden has gotten more difficult, and maybe it'll be snowing on December the 3rd. Remember that Lions-Eagles game outdoors from four years ago? Around the same time, all the snow and all the craziness. And then at Tampa Bay, December 10, no snow in Florida on December 10, but the Buccaneers have won a couple of games in a row. And then it is Chicago at Cincinnati and Green Bay at home for the Lions. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the Lions schedule isn't as easy as I thought it was a week or two ago, but still, if they win, they're in great position to win the division. If they lose, it's essentially over at that point. You would say, as a practical matter, 
it's over. Because then they'd have three games to make up. And maybe the Vikings would eventually hold the tiebreaker. I'd have to do the research to see because I don't think the Lions have lost to the Packers. They play the Packers again. The Lions beat the Bears. The Vikings are undefeated in the division but for the loss to the Lions. I think there's a chance they'd both end up 5-1 and one in the division. So it may, well, probably not, though, because for the Vikings to blow a three-game lead, they'd probably have to lose to the Packers the Bears. So let's not get too deep into the weeds. Let's just call this the de facto NFC North Championship game with the understanding that the Lions win. They got a pretty damn good chance of catching the Vikings and winning the division. And the Vikings have a very clean injury report. A couple of key players who missed last week's game. Mike Remmers has missed a couple of games, the new right tackle. With a concussion, he's questionable, fully participated in practice on Wednesday. Andrew Sendejo, hard-hitting safety, underrated player, key member of that defense. He missed the game against the Rams with a groin and hamstring injury, not that it hurt the team's defense very much. And Brian Robison, key member of the pass rush rotation, he missed Sunday's game. He was a surprise scratch, had a back problem in pregame warm-ups, but he will be back as well. And the Vikings are looking good. Ziggy Ansah may be back. He's questionable for the game. He's missed a couple for the Lions. They need him. That's the early game. That's the great game. That's the game of the day going in. Who knows what it is coming out. That, that can also summarize about 75% of the food I plan to eat tomorrow. The Chargers and the Cowboys. Now, that's a game that, and, and that, that, that always was the cachet game, and it still is. Even when the NFL started scheduling a Thursday night game on Thanksgiving. Now, remember the Ravens 49ers game in Baltimore? It's been six years ago. My God. The Harbaugh brothers. That that was the game that spurred the movement of the Thursday night game from NFL Network to NBC. And it was the next year that Thursday Thanksgiving night football landed on NBC and it was the Patriots at the Jets and it was butt fumble. Five years ago today was butt fumble. So the the Thanksgiving night game became a bigger deal once it moved to NBC and we had Ravens Steelers with the Mike Tomlin trip. Remember that? And there was Seahawks 49ers a couple of years ago where they ate the turkey the Seahawks did out on the 49ers logo. This year... And every year, that Cowboys game, there's still something about that Cowboys game. And I know NBC has the night game, and it's great to have a high-profile Thursday night, Thanksgiving night game, but the Cowboys game, from when I was a kid, that was the last game, obviously. It was Lions hosting one and Cowboys hosting the other one, but there was something special about it. And I thought there was nothing special about this one when the schedule came out. Who cares about the Chargers? And then when the Chargers went 0-4, it's like, oh, shit, I got to watch that now. That's a perfect time to take a three-hour nap. Duration of game, 3 hours and 13 minutes. Duration of nap, 3 hours and 15 minutes. But now, the Chargers are favored in this one. And for good reason. They're 4-2 and two over the last six games. The Cowboys currently stink. The Cowboys are blowing leads at home. Who do they think they are? The Falcons? And the Cowboys may get Tyron Smith back, which is good news. Lael Collins, though, is questionable for the game with a back injury. Without Ezekiel Elliott, they're a different team. And the Chargers, the Chargers are getting an opportunity to show the country what they can do. And this is a roundabout way that they can get people in L.A. behind them. Because people will be paying attention to the Thanksgiving game. Folks in L.A. may not give a shit about the Chargers and the Rams at this point. 
and it'll be very interesting to see how many people show up for the Saints-Rams game on Sunday, the game of the day, or one of the games of the day. But for Chargers fans, for L.A. residents who are still feeling a little bit ambivalent or more than a little bit ambivalent about the Chargers and the Rams, if they put up a good showing on Thanksgiving, and there have been some memorable Cowboys home game Thanksgiving contests, both for the Cowboys and for their opponents, I need to go back. I need to do like a the best Cowboys Thanksgiving games. The top 10, rank the top 10, and the best Lions Thanksgiving games. Maybe the Chargers land on that list. Maybe the Chargers give us something that makes us say, oh, wow, this is the best team in the AFC West. This is the team that can win the division. They're two games behind the Chiefs right now. Maybe they can pull it off. And I think they'll pull off a victory over the Cowboys. And maybe Phillip Rivers finally gets back to the postseason. And maybe the Chargers are a dangerous team because no one has blown them out. I mean, they went to New England and they shot themselves in each foot and still only lost by eight points. Remember the Travis Benjamin? Hey, I'm catching this punt. I'm going to run it into the end zone. What could go wrong? And then Phillip Rivers where the ball, I think he just like tried to throw it down. Like all of a sudden he had this image that it was a, 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 a an, an actual ball of shit and he threw it down on the ground. I like that game. Not not throw the ball of shit down on the ground. That's not a fun game. I've tried that once. Trust me, nobody win, Nobody wins in that game. Giants-Washington to wrap up the night at FedEx Field. And Stats and I had some fun with this earlier on PFT Live. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I will have even less credibility than I already do, which isn't much. If I try to act like this is a game that you really, i got to watch this game. But think about it. Let's be pragmatic. What else are you going to do on Thanksgiving night? You sure as hell don't want to go out and stand in line at a store. That whole Black Friday creeping into Thursday. And don't get me started on the idea that Black Friday is in some way a celebratory term. It's what the workers of the Walmarts used to use to refer to the day because they hated it. In what other context, what other day of the week is Black a good thing? Black Monday. Is that, was that a good thing? When the stock market completely imploded? No. Black Sunday. Wasn't that, a, wasn't that a movie and a book about a terrorist attack on an NFL game? Wasn't that it that, back in the 70s? Help me out here. I can't hear your responses. Keep talking. Black Sunday? Oh, Black Friday. Oh, it's good. Yeah, everybody's in the black. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to want to go shop. After eating about 5,000 calories, you really want to go out and shop? Hell no. And Elf or something's going to be on TV or Home Alone or something like that. It's a Wonderful Life. When do they play that? And all of those movies, classics in their own right. But you can watch them anytime. You can't watch live football anytime. We're getting close to the point in the calendar where you are going to say, God damn it, I miss, sorry about that, I miss football and I got seven months until football comes back and I wish I'd watched every game that I possibly could. So for that reason and others, watch the game on Thursday night. Oh, and by the way, Washington's still alive. And Washington could be a very dangerous team. And we'll see what kind of focus Jay Gruden can get his team to have after a deflating loss to the Saints. Because I think Jay Gruden's in trouble if this team... I, I think he's in serious trouble if this team loses on Thursday night. I think he's in trouble anyway. I don't think Daniel Snyder's going to put up with a couple of years of no playoffs. Paid $44 million to Kirk Cousins in 
2016 and 2017, and I got no playoff appearances to show for it. The hell with that. All right, that's your Thanksgiving preview. One last topic before I look at today's Twitter questions. I, I thought of this after we we signed off on PFT Live. And, and you know the story by now. The Washington Post reported the NFL may go back to the pre-2009 approach to the anthem and have the players stay in the locker room for the national anthem, like every college does and like the NFL used to do. And the NFL is the victim of its own desire to turn players into props as part of an effort to wrap itself in the flag, the pandering to the military. And look at the NFL shield. It looks like a flag. It's a rearranged flag. So the players become actors, supporting actors, extras in this effort to tattoo the flag onto the NFL shield, which it already already is. Look at the shield. And because the NFL didn't make standing mandatory, the NFL has this problem. So now the NFL thinking about going back to pre-2009 and the commander-in-chief does not like that. The NFL is now thinking about a new idea, keeping teams in the locker room during the national anthem next season. That's almost as bad as kneeling. When will the highly paid commissioner finally get tough and smart? This issue is killing your league. And look, it's not killing the league. And we all know by now what the president's doing. Even if you're in his base, you know what he's doing. It's so obvious what he's doing. And even if he knows... And chances are he doesn't know that college teams stay inside. He doesn't care. This is a way to continue to make it an issue, to continue to press a button that that results in applause from his base. But let me tie this issue back to the one that we started with, the Jerry Jones. We didn't talk about Jerry Jones. I wrote about it right before the show. See, now I can't even remember what I talked about on PFT Live, what I wrote about on PFT, and what I talked about here. But with the Jerry Jones issue, which we didn't talk about earlier, but I'll talk about it now to make up for it. I think that Jerry Jones' concerns regarding the commissioner at some point are valid. I talk to people all the time about the situation. And anytime I say, well, you know what, Jerry Jones does really genuinely believe he's acting in the league's best interest, the response is, well, isn't he? There are not a lot of people out there clamoring for Roger Goodell to get a contract extension. There are not a lot of people out there who understand why he should. Roger Goodell is not a polarizing figure. Roger Goodell is a figure that you either hate or you don't care about, unless you're a family member or a friend or colleague. But that's the attitude toward Roger Goodell. And the criticisms of the current condition of the league, the lack of proactivity, that was a comment made by Thomas Tull, the former... CEO and chairman of Legendary Pictures, who is a major minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Proactivity. And look at the solution that could be used after the 2017 season to fix the anthem issue. And ask yourself this question. Should the commissioner have implemented that solution after the 2016 season? Should the commissioner have seen what may be coming, what was lurking in plain view. A president who already was willing to call out Colin Kaepernick for not standing for the anthem. A president who has a bad history with the National Football League. A president who likes nothing more than to find something he can use to appeal to his base. And an issue that 
was still lingering, still percolating, not boiling, but it had the potential to boil. And all it was going to take was one comment, one tweet, one incident involving the president. And it does not take an advanced ability in predicting the future. It does not take a magic eight ball. It does not take the amazing Kreskin to understand where this could have gone. And it would have been a hell of a lot less conspicuous to change the rule after the 2016 season than it will be after the 2017 season. That's just food for thought. I have avoided taking a position on whether or not there should be a new commissioner because I don't know who the alternative is, and I don't know whether the alternative is going to be any better. And I think the safer course is to just stick with the commissioner they have. Unless there is a high degree of optimism that there's someone out there who would be better, you, you stick with the one that you have. All right, before we go, some questions. And, and I did do a quick skim of these. I, I will be completely honest. On the days when I don't, and I'll say, hey, don't expect much because I didn't look at them. I'll say that. On days when I took a quick look, I'll say that as well. I just don't want to start reading one and find out, oh, oh God, I shouldn't have started reading that one. Here's one from Zach Goodall. Tell your niece I, did you tell your niece I said sup yet? That gets back to my, my niece who was in the process of abandoning the Browns, and I... I mentioned that on Twitter. She's a long-suffering Browns fan, and she was giving up on the Browns, and she was looking for a new team, and I was looking for suggestions. And, of course, half of the responses were either sup or how you doing. So, and in a weird sort of way, she kind of liked it. She kind of found it appalling, but she kind of liked it. She said it was kind of a little bit of a confidence boost. So, I, I did not tell her that you said sup. You can tell her yourself because uh, she, she checks. She, 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 doesn't like it, and she likes it all at the same time. At Gnome Sane Bra, why hasn't she come back? It's been years, Sharon. I miss you. Oh, this is next level. My wife left me. That's good. That's very good. I hope she comes back just in time for Thanksgiving. At CS Daddy 7777, what are the Raiders doing? Who's next on the chopping block? There's been much comment stating this is Del Rio's MO throwing coordinators under the bus. Well, look, I don't know how much of it is a product of Del Rio doing what he does, but the reality is he's a defensive coach. You know, you've got a defense that... <laughs> this is amazing to me. In the history of the entire National Football League, back to 1921, no team has gone this far without an interception. Now, I didn't know they threw the football. I didn't know they had a forward pass in 1921. You would think that one of those years, 1933, 1942, one of those years would be a year where a team didn't have an interception this late in the season because... How many passes were they throwing? It's basic supply and demand or something. So no interceptions, the highest passer rating for an opponent, the Raiders, and Jack Del Rio's a defensive coach. So Ken Norton Jr. takes the fall. John Pagano takes over. This is an indication. Oh, oh, Newsflash, the Raiders aren't as good as they were supposed to be. There's a shock. But the Raiders aren't as good as they were supposed to be. And good luck next year getting people to show up in what could be and what is expected to be the final year in Oakland if you stunk this year, if you woefully underperform. And that Patriots-Raiders game, and I said this last week, I thought the Patriots would win 42-10. to 10. It was 33-8, to 8, close enough. And did you see the, the, the footage of Mark Davis chain-eating carrot sticks? Just one <laughs> nervous wreck. 
What do I do? What do I do? Here's what you do. You get John Gruden before the Buccaneers can. And I still hate to say that because I like Jack Del Rio. But if you want people to be engaged with this team in 2018, another year of Marshawn Lynch isn't going to do it. You got to go out and make a splash that's going to last for a couple of years. 2018, people show up in Oakland. 2019, they can stay in Oakland another year if they really want to. If John Gruden's a coach, 2020, maybe their stadium's not even going to be ready yet then. But whenever you go to Las Vegas, John Gruden has a little more cachet than really anyone else out there because Gruden is the superstar coach. Even though his time in Tampa Bay resulted in a 57-55 and 55 record, even though when he was fired, Simeon Rice came out and called him a scumbag and not a single one of his players defended him. I'd have real concerns about hiring John Gruden, but I got money to make. I got tickets to sell. I got a city that I'm going to play in for one more year at least before I leave. John Gruden helps that. It's Marshawn Lynch times five, maybe times 10. And Marshawn Lynch, that impact, that effect isn't going to work in 2018 because number one, they're already used to it. Number two, he wasn't nearly as good with the Raiders. Hasn't been nearly as good with the Raiders as he was with the Seahawks. At Chachi the Kid, do you think Jason Garrett's comeback win on Thanksgiving 1994 is the only reason he won't be coaching tomorrow afternoon? Does the struggling Cowboy offense shed more light on Garrett being a below average head coach or Dak Prescott being a mediocre quarterback? Look, Here's the reality with Jason Garrett. One of the reasons he has continued to be the coach of the Cowboys is he has a unique skill of coexisting with Jerry Jones. And he is willing to let Jerry Jones believe that he's in charge of everything. And Garrett just goes about his business. He's got a backup quarterback mentality as a head coach. Someone else is the star. Someone else is the center of attention. But in this case, he gets to do all the work. Now, how much work is he really doing? I continue to be dumbfounded by the failure to adjust the game plan on the fly to help Chaz Green a week and a half ago when Adrian Claiborne morphed into Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas and Reggie White all rolled into one. And the guy had one move. He admitted it. I got one move and it worked every time. No tight end help, no running back help, no adjustment to the scheme, nothing. And they're not adjusting to the scheme without Tyron Smith and without Ezekiel Elliott. You don't just run the same plays. In your running game, you figure out what the guys who are replacing Ezekiel can and can't do, and you maximize that. Oh, we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing and pretend if we squint a little bit, it kind of looks like Ezekiel No, it's not Ezekiel It's not Tyron Smith. And that's where coaching can make a difference. And I guarantee you, if Bill Belichick was in a situation like that, he'd have adjusted. And he'd find a way to get the most out of the guys he has. So, yes, it, it is an indictment of Jason Garrett as a coach, but and, and Dak Prescott as a quarterback. But Garrett's not getting fired. Remember, Garrett became a free agent and did not leave. Garrett is happy being the coach of the Cowboys. He's happy letting Jerry Jones and or Stephen Jones run the show. And he's happy just with what he has. And so be it. At Shake and Bake 95. Oh, I'm sorry. At Shake and Blake 95. Because it is Blake Scantlin. Shake and Blake 95. Which Vikings quarterback is worth the most on the open market right now? I'd say it's Case Keenum right now. Now, that's like saying, and and I hate this, if the playoffs were to begin today. They don't. They don't. They won't. They never will. Stop it. So if hypothetically Case Keenum and all of the other Vikings quarterbacks were on the open market right now, which they aren't, they won't be, and they can't, I should stop it. But let me go ahead and answer the question. It would be Case Keenum. We don't know what Sam Bradford can or can't do physically. We don't know what Teddy Bridgewater can or can't do physically. And we don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is ever going to be anything close to the guy they thought he was going to be last year before he got injured. 
See, they weren't banking on 2014 and 2015 Teddy Bridgewater. They were banking on Bridgewater in 2016 taking a huge step forward. Now, I don't know if they have that feeling. And now they're sticking with Case Keenum. And let me just say what what I truly believe is the Mike Zimmer approach to Case Keenum. Mike Zimmer, kind of a little Bill Parcells here. He thinks that Keenum plays better when he has Teddy Bridgewater breathing down his neck. So he's going to continue to keep Teddy Bridgewater breathing down Case Keenum's neck because Keenum plays better. Keenum gets pissed. The only problem is he may get so pissed that when the season ends, he says, hey, Vikings, shove it up your ass sideways. Peel that horn off your helmet and stick it sideways. I'm out. I'm not out yet. That's that's Case Keenum. Uh, at Shake and Blake 95. Hey, hey, two questions in a row. I'll allow it. A day before we have... Two helpings of everything in a row, I'll allow it. If the Chiefs stick with Alex Smith and end up winning the Super Bowl, is he their quarterback into next year? I, 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 yeah, yeah, but at this point, what have you seen from the Chiefs the last month and a half that makes you think they're going to win the Super Bowl? What makes you think that? The Chiefs go back to New England in the postseason. It's going to be a far different outcome, don't you think, than it was week one. At T.E. Gensler, 14, what division leaders won't ultimately win their divisions? Well, let's see. T.E. Gensler, I'm looking at the standings right now. The Patriots will win the division. The Steelers will win the division. The Jaguars are currently leading, and I think they'll win the division over the Titans. I think they will. The Chiefs, I think, won't win the division. Well, wait a minute. Who's going to catch them? Yeah, I still think the Chiefs will win it. I, I'll say Chargers maybe just to make it interesting. The Eagles will win the division. The Vikings, I think, are in grave danger. The Saints are in some danger, and the Rams are in moderate danger. So I would say the – I think the AFC is already set in stone. As much as I'd kind of like to see the Chargers shake things up, I think the NFC, north, south, and west, all three division leaders could end up blowing it down the stretch. we still got six weeks. Six weeks is a long time. A lot can and will happen in six weeks. Just because we have trends that we think have already unfolded, it can change dramatically moving forward. At the Impact 99, Jeremy York asking questions every day, multiple questions. He's got two in a row. I'll allow it. What's my favorite holiday food? Um, well, I'll tell you what, we got that turkey fryer, and boy, fried turkey is good. I got to go buy another turkey here tonight and fry it tomorrow. Fried turkey, nothing against the baked turkey, and I know how hard it is to get a turkey ready when you put it in the oven. I think a turkey has to be in the oven for 38 hours before it's done, and it has to be basted every 15 minutes, and it's still it's still, it's still, like eating a block of wood. Fried turkey, man. Now, my sister-in-law makes stuffing that has sausage and chestnuts in it, and, and the way that it cooks in this iron pan, it's got... Uh, it's got... Uh, crust around the edges that like you'll break your teeth but but i'd like i carve out that crust man you smother it in gravy to soften it up man it's pretty good the problem is everything's good on thanksgiving and the question is how do you properly pace yourself because it is a marathon not a sprint when it comes to eating one more from at the impact 99 how far out are teams like San Francisco and Chicago for making the playoffs, my guess is a year and a half to two years. Yeah, look, a team can turn around quickly with the right coach, and that's why we see so many coaches get fired. I remember when Andy Reid immediately turned the Chiefs around. My reaction was he just got a lot of guys fired this year and beyond because you can't go out and get the best players. But when a coach becomes available, 
coach gets fired who has a track record of success, you can go get him. And he can turn a team around quickly. <laughs> At Ryan Von Hilderbrand, by PFTPM, you mean Patrick Mahomes is coming soon, right? A guy can dream. Ryan Von Hilderbrand, a guy can dream. Uh, let's see what else we got here. At Dustin Miller, the Cowboys haven't had an opponent called for holding in 29 quarters, conspiracy or coincidence. Ooh, Mikey Likey. Gonna have to look into this one. I saw something about that. I think Jerry Jones was asked about it this week on one of his many appearances in the media. Not called for holding in 29 quarters. Is, 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 there, is there a repercussion via the league office which supervises the officiating department? 29 straight quarters. That's... That's a long time to not be called for holding. That, that, that just made my list of oddities to explore. At T.E. Gensler 14, when will... Hey, man, that's an... You, you already, oh, you, it's two, but they're separated. They aren't back-to-back. When will Philly lose its next game? Super Bowl 52 against the Patriots or, or in the playoffs against the Saints. At Paul PJ 5 what's Josh Gordon's contract status after this season? UFA, RFA, not a free agent. You know what? I think someone's asked that before, and I said I was going to look it up, and I didn't. But, but I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in that one. I'll try to get an answer. At Phil Wally, where do you think Kirk Cousins is next year? I say Jacksonville. I don't rule out San Francisco. I could see them choosing not to re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe swinging some sort of a trade. It'd be hard to do a third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trade's going to be hard to do because you have to tag and trade Garoppolo. You have to tra- tag and trade Cousins because if you don't tag them, they're untradeable because they become free agents the moment the market opens. So I I don't know. Jacksonville makes it. You know, Jacksonville is in an intriguing situation. Drew Brees, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Tyrod Taylor, easy to upgrade from Blake Bortles. All due respect to Blake Bortles. The Chris Sims line is he was not put on earth to throw the football. That's a strong, that's a strong comment. And I think I've said to Chris a time or two, well, you would know. That's such an easy, biting insult. Anytime someone insults someone else or criticizing them, somebody, well, you would know. All right. And I think that's it. Oh, would I ever, here's one more from Orlando Pena H., would you have stats as a guest in the PM podcast ever? Absolutely freaking not. Absolutely not. One more from Orlando Pena, who is actually sending in his questions from Honduras. Honduras. Do you think John Elway is overrated as a GM? Look, I have gone... Is it a 360? It's not quite a 360. Let's say it's a 270. Is that way halfway between 180 and 360? I, I'm, I'm, when they hired John Elway, my reaction was, what are they doing? John Elway had no experience in the front office. No, no. It's not like people were clamoring to hire John Elway to come run their football program. He had played for the Broncos, and the Broncos were trying to turn things around, and the Broncos got desperate in the aftermath of the Josh McDaniels debacle, and they said, I will take our chances with John Elway, and my attitude was, what the hell are you doing? And then it turns the right way, and it's like, well, I'm going to be owning that one, and I have. And now I went the other way. Hey, John Elway's great. He'd make it to the Hall of Fame even if he wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. And now it's starting to swing back the other way. Man, I, I'm going to get at old takes exposed treatment twice on the same issue. Once for saying, what are you doing when they hired him? And then again for praising him when maybe I shouldn't have because now it's all going to hell. And we'll see. They need a quarterback. And look, 
I understand he managed to lure Peyton Manning to Denver, and the fact that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback helped. But the evaluation of Peyton Manning did not require much high-level film study. I mean, everybody wanted Peyton Manning, except maybe the Patriots, right? I think 15 teams were interested in him at one point or another. They were lining up out the door. The only team that wasn't interested that he was interested in was the Texans, and they're still living that one down. Deshaun Watson may work out once he's healthy, but yeah, I don't know. I think John Elway's got some work to do and he's got, he's got some work to do to hold his organization together. Cause some people are upset with him right now. And he's got some work to do to turn the team around from football champions, Super Bowl 50 to three and seven and done. Speaking of done, we're done. Enjoy the day tomorrow. We will have another PFTPM podcast on Friday getting you ready for week 12, reacting to the Thursday games, plus whatever else comes up between now and then. And before I go, allow me to say what I always say in this spot, at least on the occasions when I remember, if you're still listening, you like it. So subscribe, rate, review. We'll talk again on Friday. Happy Thanksgiving. We all have something to be thankful for. And I am, I know this sounds sappy and corny and like I'm full of shit, but I am very thankful. If you're listening right now, and there's probably, to make it this far, 43 minutes, What's the over-under? 50 people? I don't know. I'm not delusional. This is a slow build. I get it. Not everyone realizes the value of the information that you've gotten over the last 43 minutes. Either way, all 50 of you or five of you, if you're listening now, I'm very thankful for you. And tell your friends, spread the word. Don't hoard this information. If you think it's useful to you for your fantasy team, that would be very unkind to me for you to not share this information with your friends and relatives. Or, Or if you don't like it, share it with your enemies. Turn them on to something that they will end up hating as much as you do. On that note, happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.